Let's do Let's this. Do the Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm Bruce McCurdy with the Edmonton Journal's Cult of Hockey. I'm here tonight with Ira Cooper, original Posar, who has uh, bailed us out a bit tonight by doing the game grades as a guest grader, and he's also a guest podcaster. So thank you twice over, Ira, and welcome to the podcast. My pleasure. Happy to help, and thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. So tonight we had a, a tight game at, um, at uh, I was going to say Rexall Place, Rogers Place in Edmonton. I was down at the game myself and took it in in, in person in three dimensions. Always enjoyable to uh, to see a live game, especially uh, uh, a, a tense one with a happy ending like uh, like tonight's turned out to be. A 2-1 Edmonton, officially 2-1 win for Edmonton and what? I consider a 1-1 tie with uh, Edmonton winning the skills competition at the end, but we'll take the two points. Sure will. And, and uh, it was a uh, uphill battle tonight with uh, uh, the Jets um, uh, controlling at least the shot clock to the tune of 47-32 officially. And... Uh, uh, especially with Edmonton having to kill a double minor that stretched through the first three-plus minutes of overtime, meaning a four-on-three power play for Winnipeg that just seemed to last for an eternity. And with Connor McDavid, of all people, in the penalty box for a double minor for high sticking in the last minute of regulation. But somehow the Oilers survived all that, and they got to the final buzzer and then uh, got the job done in the uh, in the shootout. So... That's three for three now in uh, in uh, gimmick time. One game, yep. one in three on three overtime. The other two in shootouts. So three times Edmonton has stretched beyond 60 minutes, mm-hmm. and so they've at least taken advantage of their opportunities in uh, in those uh, uh, three point games. So again, we'll take the two points. Right. Anyway, Ira, let's start with you as our guest to. Uh, Go first with, we're going to do two good things each, of course, because the Oilers won this game. And later we'll do one bad thing and one number apiece. And so what is your first good thing from this game? My first good thing, I think I'm going to go with just the the general way that the Oilers started this game and played throughout this game. A couple of the biggest criticisms that we hear, or at least I hear, um, basically night in, night out is two things. Um, they need to start better, and mm-hmm. they can't win these types of games in the playoffs. Well, at least to my eye, while the shot clock, as you said, Bruce, wasn't in their favor in the first period, I don't think it was representative of the play. I thought the Oilers were engaged from the very first shift. They had their legs. Um, they were hitting, um, they were aggressive on the forecheck, they were hard on the puck in, in, in battles. Um, they had lots of high danger chances, they missed yes. the net on a bunch. Um, uh, you know, it was just the, the entire game was, you know, kind of back and forth. Um, I, I would say it was a fairly evenly played game. Both teams were physical, both teams had lots of chances, both teams got great goaltending. Um, both teams battled, both teams missed glorious chances. 
Um, but just for them to, to start out that way, not give up a goal early in the first 10 minutes so they weren't chasing the game. And, in fact, I thought that, you know, notwithstanding the shots that they, you know, were the better team for, for significant portions uh, of the 5-5, five and five, far from dominating, but they're playing a, a good team. And it was essentially a 1-1 game going into overtime. That's, a, you know, where they, both teams got great saves from their goalies. Um, and made great plays, uh, great defensive plays, sticks and plays, blocking shots. It was a, you know, one of those playoff-style games um, that they're gonna have to learn um, how to play and how to win, and to to do it with. Well, I'm not sure if we're gonna call him the third-string goalie anymore, but uh, <laughs> uh, well, he came into the season being the the fourth-string, I guess, if we want to count Staylock. But uh, um, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about him quite a bit, but to do that with their, I guess, backup goalie uh, for now is uh, is just uh, another great great arrow up for the team. Yeah, yeah, it was a solid. Um, uh, I didn't get the sense there was many times in this game where there was a like a significant lapse by the Oilers. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of stretches where they had trouble getting the puck out of their own zone, but I didn't think there was like letdowns by the team where they kind of went away for a few minutes, like we've seen in in other games. And uh, they hung around and they hung around, and uh, they certainly did get some, uh, you know, they got some stops. But Winnipeg got some stops too. I was sitting behind Hellebuck's net in the first and third period, and that guy's tremendous. Oh, yeah. there, there there was a a lot of shots like right on the corners. Mm-hmm. Where Edmonton did get a chance, and they, and they put a shot just inside the post, and Hellebuck, it was like he knew where it was going to go before the shot ever left the stick, and it looked like there was a hole there, and by the time the puck was shot, there'd be a glove or a pad in place waiting for it, and uh, he, you know, he made it look, uh, uh, he made it look easy, but it isn't easy to do sure. that. The goalie that uh, that can anticipate like that, I mean, that's a that's a tremendous. Uh, attribute for for a netminder and i came away with a uh sort of additional respect for connor hellebuck tonight than i already had which was plenty yeah so. and i think he was in the oilers heads a little bit at the end just between uh Pugliarvi and, and nuge uh they must have had 10 like good looks at the net from you know the high slot or just just off the slot and you know Hellebuck probably made you know five six saves and they missed the net a few times I think uh eventually they're trying to pick corners and stuff so um I, I know the way the cult uh counts scoring my scoring chances and I guess it's high danger shots now some of those uh that won't count but they they certainly had their opportunities at them Right on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, when uh, David Staples has the um, first run of the scoring chances, and then I do the review of them, and be interested to see how how big a margin, if any, that the the Jets have there. But on the shot clock, they certainly did. Which brings us to my first good thing, which has to be the net mining of young Stuart Skinner between the pipes for Edmonton, given this big opportunity, first game home after road road trip in which he played seven of the 15 periods on the road and uh, comported himself quite well. He he, uh, he lost both of his starts, essentially three to two in each case, with uh, uh, without a lot of either goal support or defensive support in either game, I thought. And I, I didn't think he was the problem in either of those losses. <laughs> and on Tuesday in the 5-2 loss, 
Uh, Mikko Koskinen was part of the problem with a really bad goal to start the game. And Skinner came in the third period and held the Oilers in there with some good stops and uh, was a good choice. In the end, I was a little surprised. I thought they'd go back to the veteran. I thought Tippett would do the, well, i got to give, give my veteran a chance to bounce back. And uh, But he didn't. He went uh, to Skinner, and Skinner rewarded him and us with a terrific performance. Lots of, lots of you know, very solid saves. He looked strong in the net. I like he... he he wasn't uh, fighting the puck at all. His rebound control was mostly good. And when he did have a rebound where, you know, he didn't have much chance to control the rebound, he came up with a save on the rebound. There was two in particular. Uh, one on a Jets shorthanded brush with, in the dying seconds of the first period mm-hmm. when uh, they broke away and, and uh, uh, two of their players had a... Had a uh, uh, dangerous look right in a row, and Skinner was able to keep both out. And then there was one in the third period when it was still 0-0 uh, early in the third, and that time he stopped a hard drive from uh, Kyle Connor, oh. and on the rebound, Nick Ehlers, so two of Winnipeg's top snipers in a row. And on the night, you know, uh, I mean, Ehlers did get the goal on six shots, and Kyle Connor, who has 12 goals on the season, had nine shots on Skinner, yeah. unless we forget, one more in the shootout. Exactly. And he was able to turn all 10 of uh, Connor's shots aside. So yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't like uh, he was getting, you know, bombarded with point shots by Logan Stanley. He was getting, he was facing uh, uh, some quality rubber some, from some guys that really know how to shoot the puck. He, he was beaten only by Ehlers on the same damn shot that Ehlers scored in overtime in Winnipeg in Game 3 against Mike Smith. I would he say... Scored again Tuesday night against Koskinen. Top of the left face-off circle, you think, well, the goalie should get that one. He, he wires it right under the bar. And tonight, I wasn't sure, did, did Nuge maybe tip the shot right at the source? Or yeah. his stick was there, but I, even on the big screen, I couldn't tell. His stick was there, but I, but I, but I think it went straight in, and it was, you know, you're you're absolutely right. Like he was brilliant. He was he was spectacular. I'd say Ben Scrivens, like from the the one uh, <laughs> uh, famous Scrivens shutout game, with the difference being that you know Skinner's uh, younger and bigger and improving, and with uh, some pedigree that we might be able to expect these types of things again. But but on the goal, it was it was an absolute snipe by a. Snipe. Sniper off yeah. the barn and yeah, there's no chance. Well, there's always a chance, but is is there's zero fault of the goalie on that one, and it was so demoralizing. But it uh, set up, uh, you know, something uh, kind of uh, spectacular after that. But you know, what a performance at home. You know, like it's his second mm-hmm. win, and uh, it's the second one at home. But um, you know, wasn't quite the same as uh, what was it six five against. Uh, Seven five against Ottawa. Eight five against Eight, Ottawa five. last year, and right. no fan, no fan. So it's not the same at all. No fans, and, and it's his first game, first and, and, real game against in yeah. Edmonton with fans. And of course, in that other game against Ottawa, he was—I don't want to say part of the problem, but that's uh, um, he was part of the solution tonight. In fact, he he yes. was the solution. He went save for save with uh, arguably the best goalie in the league who was having a great game and uh, mm-hmm. he was better. He was one save better. 
It happened to be in the oh, shooter. Yeah, 15 saves better if you want to look at it one way. But yeah, he uh, he held his own and uh, he wound up being the first star and Connor Hellebuck wound up being second star. So that's a, that's a nice way to get it done, Stuart Skinner. It kind of reminded me a little tiny bit. I also happened to go to this game a few years ago now. Laurent Brassois' NHL debut in uh, 2015. Was it when Todd Nelson was coach? Or was it when Dallas Aikens was still coach? And they were playing San Jose, and they got outshot like 52 to 20-something. And Brassois had a one nothing lead with like 10 minutes to go in the third period and couldn't quite hold it and wound up getting beat. Well, yeah, I think it was 3-1 with an empty netter in the end, but it was, you know, it was the goalie against the world. Well, this wasn't that. I mean, the, the, he had more support in terms of defensive support and such tonight but he had to do a, uh, a fair amount of the work on his own and hats off to you Stuart Skinner you came up with a huge performance and you answered more questions than than you raised new ones in terms of if Mike Smith is going to need some time to get healthy the Oilers suddenly I think just based on Skinner's performance in this last week that mm-hmm. the Oilers can say, well, we don't have to rush Mike Smith back because we don't want to kill Koskinen and we don't trust Skinner. Mm-hmm. I think they're now at the point where they can say, well, maybe we do trust Skinner and we're going to give him some more games until he gives us reason to not trust him. And so he he bought himself a fair bit of rope tonight, I would think. Well, I, I think good, good on him. I mean, in a perfect world, he emerges as the guy, right? I mean, that would be fantastic. And, you know, you don't want to extrapolate from one good game, but you have to say that it was a very promising game. Uh-oh. Ira, are you there? What happened? I have a frozen Ira on my screen. So let's carry on with... Uh, um, I'm going to go straight to my second good thing. And hope that he returns. And we're back. Had a loss of signal there. uh, So we're going to have to splice this podcast together. And by we, I mean the royal we, uh, David Staples. Have fun with that. But we're just going to pick up where we left off and uh, go on to our second good thing. Ira, what was uh, what was your? There's a few. To, I had a few to choose from, but I, but I think I'm going to go with uh, uh, the penalty kill, um, mm-hmm. which has been a a plus for the team uh, all year long. All year long, from the very beginning, in particular on the road. But uh, uh, but this performance was at home. I think they came into the game fifth on PK and they are now up to second in the NHL on the PK um, to go along with, uh, of course, the, the, the first ranked power play in, in the league. But tonight uh, there was no goals. I think they only had two power plays. Um, they didn't score, um, but they were shorthanded five times. And um, the PK was actually going to be my one of my good things tonight before they even had to kill that four-minute penalty near the end. Um, so they were shorthanded three times at, from them. Twice, uh, 
on, on back-to-back penalties from Tyler Benson. And on those yeah. two PKs, they gave up a grand total of zero shots against. Um, I, I think they gave up a couple on the on the first one, but uh, but they weren't dangerous generally. Um, and uh, they did a great job of uh, cutting across the uh, cutting off the the crossing pass, which is uh, the most dangerous. And generally, just just battled and were able to get multiple clears on every kill. And in fact, uh, in particular, on the two back-to-back Benson penalties, uh, where the Jets got zero shots, the Oilers. Although I'm not sure they ended up with any shots on net on them, they did have a couple um, quick break strikes. Uh, Nuge and Dry had a had a two on one and one of them. And yeah. I think Hyman uh, can't remember exactly what happened on the other one, but they had a couple chances against uh, the Jet Net. Um, so the PK was a, a material part of the game, and then of course um, the stick penalty on uh, McDavid with uh, 46 seconds to go and. I'm still not sure it needed to be four minutes. Um, uh-huh. It was definitely a penalty, but you know I didn't see any blood, and, I, and there was definitely no malice. It uh, it was a, it was a hard <laughs> it was a hard hit to the face with the stick. So, but anyways, I digress on that. But at that point, I think pretty much all Oilers fans are thinking, let's just kill this 46 seconds and, and get the point. Uh, it's going to be almost gonna be almost impossible to kill three plus minutes of uh of four on three with you know the likes of Ellers and Connors and Shifley um moving the puck around but um they did uh I don't know what Dry was doing out there it seemed like he was just standing there uh, at the top of the triangle but he played about half of it and uh made a number of plays, a, a diving play to get one puck out and even tried to start a, a shorthanded rush on the three-on-four. Um, so um, kudos to the PK, now sitting second uh, in the NHL and full marks for the 5-for-5 uh, the five five tonight. Yeah, well, full marks, the top penalty killer. <coughs> Again, Stuart Skinner, Stuart Skinner, 10 saves. Shots on net and overtime were eight to one, and I'm pretty sure that almost all those shots came in that four on three. And I'm also pretty sure they had a couple of shots in those 45 seconds or so that were left in the third period. Mm-hmm. So that one power, well, of four minutes of uh, power play, they had probably eight or nine of those ten shots. And uh, and Skinner stood tall, but the the defense didn't give anything from like directly in front. Uh, they were all shots from the circles or from from a little higher uh, higher out there, and uh, what what slightly frustrated me in the overtime was inability to clear the zone. And Edmonton was they were a little aggressive, and I think the thinking was there was we're probably not going to be able to kill off the the entire three minutes. But Jets have got four forwards on the ice. If we can catch them out, maybe we can score and win that way. And they got aggressive, but uh, sometimes they got a little too aggressive and didn't get the puck out of their own zone before trying to counterattack. Darnell Nurse made the most uh, frustratingly bad play of the game, I think is mm-hmm. one of the ones you were talking about, where yep. they were they were in their zone for a good minute and a half. They were they were gassed. Yeah. And he had, he had the puck with time he tried to go on a rush, and I don't know if he bobbled it or what, but then it stayed back in. I was like, you know, there, there's a time in a place, Darnell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was about five feet inside his own blue line with a, with an easy clearance, and he tried to do too much with it. 
anyway, there was a couple a couple of those, but like I say, there was no sort of critical blunders where they left a guy all alone for a top in or or whatever, and they 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 managed to keep him to the outside. Winnipeg might be kicking themselves a little bit for not doing more with it, but hey, memo to Winnipeg. Too bad. You exactly. had your way well, yeah, with us for this, long this enough. Not, <laughs> yeah. And let's not forget that this was this 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 is a good power play Winnipeg has. I think they were ninth in the league uh, coming into the game and and they Those you, are you, good. Yeah. And look at those guys they got out there. So, well, good on the on the power play uh, or the penalty kill. And you're right; it's been it's been uh, good for much of the year, despite major personnel changes. And one change tonight I noticed was instead of uh, CC with Keith and Bouchard with Nurse, they flipped them, and they had CC playing <laughs> with uh, with Nurse and uh, Bouchard with Keith. I don't know what the rationale was there, but it worked. I think it may be a bit of a function of of them being down to five D and just who had recently been on the ice before that time. Uh, but but that's just my speculation on that. And the, and the forward who played the most was Drysaddle, four minutes and fifty four seconds out of the ten minutes, and he had um, he had. Um, uh, a little extra Fogo duty during the game due to the absence of Derek Ryan, one of their face-off men. So there were several times on the PK where Leon just came out, took the face-off, and won it or lost it and had to defend for a bit. But once, as soon as the Oilers got the puck down the ice, he would head straight for the bench as opposed to staying around for his usual minute-long shift. He had a few of the sort of 10-second Manny Malhotra-style shifts. He He was the initial... Fogo expert, as uh, analytics people call him, face off, get off, Fogo, and uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Leon did that a few times. He had 30 shifts in this game. Leon played uh, just under 26 minutes and did a little bit of everything in that game except score goal. So my I, I second good- my game, I think I gave him an eight and said something along the lines of one of the best games you'll see from a player that didn't produce a point. He was, he was an absolute beast at both ends of the ice tonight, Leon. Yeah. Well, uh, my second good thing, I got to go to the guy who did score a goal, uh, Connor McDavid. Uh, not just that he scored, but the way he scored and when he scored, which was late in the third period, another crucial goal by him on a great individual effort and sort of five minutes to go in the third. And this is... This is a movie we've seen several times before. I remember seeing him beat Calgary, beat Montreal, tie New York Rangers on uh, goals that sort of in the late going of the third period. And this was another one where after 54 minutes of 0-0 hockey, Winnipeg broke the tie with just six minutes left. Seventh game in a row, Oilers gave up the first goal. But, I mean, it was so deep into the game, it it wasn't like an early letdown or anything. But with only six minutes to go and Hellebook in the net, you know, you're sort of going, oh, one nothing yep. to go. And it didn't take 30 seconds, and the game was tied up again one-to-one after another brilliant, dazzling, spectacular rush by number 97 where he didn't quite go through four guys like he did with the Rangers, but he went through two Just or three, three. guys. <laughs> Just three. <laughs> And he had the puck going left, right, left, and then up into the top, right corner, and and uh, 
just just a dazzling play, and it it seemed like he at one point he was just going to run out of room, and all of a sudden he was out the other side with the puck and immediately whipped it upstairs, and and that was one of those uh, one of those goals where it was like a giant magnet pulled all of the fans up and out of our seats as puck went into the net. I mean that's hockey at its finest, and so. He didn't- the team a chance to sag 28 <laughs> seconds after the the Ellers yeah. ball that must have just taken the entire air out of, out of the arena he, he's like no 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 this is going to be one of those nights and then he does that and I think there actually was a, a fourth jet that he that he uh that he beat but it was just a little farther back in the neutral zone he, he beat one and then and then there was the cluster of three and uh, you know one of them being Logan Stanley so you know, he's oh, about good. seven foot tall. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, Oilers needed to uh, needed to uh, uh, light up Mr. Stanley one way or another. Cassian tried early in the game, and uh, McDavid succeeded late in the game. Then, if it was Stanley that he went around, it was all from the stands, kind of a blur, right? As to, in terms of who was doing what for Winnipeg, all I knew was that it was McDavid putting on another magic show now you see it now you don't know look i have it over here now you know and into the net and on a night where goals were almost impossible to come by to get Mm -hmm. one back so quick when it was so desperately needed uh hats off to you mr mcdavid and uh for the cherry on top a brilliant snipe in the shootout as well it was just it was, it was almost identical to the to the last home game against mm-hmm. the, the Rangers, where you know that one the Oilers had had battled back to 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 tie it up if I remember correctly, and then you know the Rangers scored late, and then right. McDavid's like, well, no, 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna go tie this game up again, so with a brilliant goal. So um, he's having quite the the month of November as far as uh, highlights are going. I'll, I say Leon's probably still leading player of the month categories, mm-hmm. but but uh, Connor might be leading the uh, highlights of the night category. Yeah, well, 16-game point streak for him now in the current season, and I think he had six or seven in a row at the end of last season, too, if you like to splice them together. And, of course, you have to avoid the playoffs to to do that because they always got shut out in one of those games. What what is uh, that? What what you would know, Wayne, was it 52? 51. 51. Yeah, 1983-84. First 51 games. He did it the first 30 games of the previous year, and then he did 51 wow. games the following year. So, uh, so let's move on to bad things. And uh, again, Ira, you uh, you lead the way. There's a couple that I'm choosing through in my head, and I am gonna unfortunately gonna single out one player, and uh, and I hate to do this, but I but I think I need to. It, and it's uh, Duncan Keith. Um, and the reason that I've decided to, to single him out, because there's there's a few negative things as as there are in in most games, is because not only did he have a poor game, but but it's been kind of a, a trend a little bit. I thought he started off the season fairly well, and then got you know was quite good, and the second pairing was quite good for a stretch of games. But you know for the better part of the road trip, and now back home, I'm finding that Duncan Keith is. Um, I'm not sure exactly what it is. He's just making some like like 
unintelligent plays with the puck, which doesn't sound like him. Um, maybe it's the amount of minutes that he's playing, uh, catching up with him, which definitely could have been a factor tonight because they had to go down to 5D, including losing a, a left shot D uh, quite early. I think he played something like 26 minutes, but but I also found him to be um, lacking early in the game. There was, you know, he was set up brilliantly <clears throat> for a, for a, a, a shot from the high slot and he, and he bungled it and missed the net and then the puck went back in the other zone and he had it with plenty of time and an easy outlet pass and he missed it for an icing there's a couple plays in the defensive zone where he had some time and space and just where he put the puck was to, to nobody or to no. a 50 50 battle when there was better places it's just it's more mental i think than anything and he made one really bad decision at the at the offensive uh blue line which led to a i think it was connor and ellers again coming back yeah. the other way um and that, that, those he's making the Tyson Berry mistake at the offensive blue line quite a bit where he's pinching mm -hmm. or standing up and just not getting the puck, not getting the player or, or not getting it deep. And it's just becoming a bit of a trend. And then I am not one of those people that um, just are going to attach the acquisition cost and cap hit. I'm, I try to evaluate him based on his play and I'm really cheering for him because I find that most Oilers fans, I shouldn't say most Oilers fans, there's a group that seem to be cheering against him for various reasons you know they just can't uh, take away the fact that you know he's five and a half million on the cap etc cetera, etc cetera. but for you know that's on the gm exactly that's on the gm so based on his play i thought on aggregate on the season he's he's he was actually better than i expected but he seems to be struggling quite a bit the last couple weeks um I'm not sure if it's if it's aggregate minutes or if he's banged up or you know if he's 38 years old and it's just how it's going to be now. But um, you know with with the third pairing kind of banged up and not good enough and Nurse can only do so much. It's a it's a bit concerning. So um, he did play 26 minutes tonight yeah. uh, and he did get an assist uh, oh. um, on those. He got he got the secondary on the. Uh, on the McDavid goal, it was a quick little pass to CC. CC made a nice up to to McDavid, but that's one of those uh, it's one of those uh, gimme assists. But um, anyways, so I'm gonna have to go with uh, Duncan Keith, and I'm hoping that the next time I I come on this podcast, I'm uh, he's one of my good things because I'm cheering for him. Right on. Yeah, well, you look at his line, and he's you know an assist plus one, and 26:49 ice time. No shots, three giveaways kind of stand out, and and uh, he 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 was all of that. There, there was some some questionable uh, distributions of the puck, as you've already mentioned. So we won't dwell on it. Other than I will add that I thought his partner Cody Cece had a very strong game, and uh, uh, be between the two of them, you know, the partnership uh, survived. Uh, but I thought Cece um, was the stronger of the two. In this well, game, I thought CC played one of his uh, better games of, of the year. I think he had six hits too. Um, yes, four shots, six hits. Both led the led the defense, and he was uh, uh, he was noticeable in a good way for the most part. And he also uh, played 541 on the penalty kill. He got the lion's share of the penalty killing duty. CC playing with Nurse, of course. So. <clears throat> So, um, yeah, uh, my bad thing, 
I had something in mind that's gone away, but I'm I'm going to uh, single in on the uh, unfortunate. I'll call it a shift by Tyler Benson. Uh, the shift being the time between he left the bench to go on the ice to the time he finally got back to the bench, which was like five minutes later. And his first shift ended with a penalty 200 feet from his own net uh, for slashing, uh, where he chopped, I think it was Dylan DeMello on the back of the leg. And I th- I th- I'm not sure, did he use a scythe? Did he have an actual scythe for that? It looked like DeMello might have to get amputated. Um, I, he went down. I think uh, Louis on the broadcast actually was wondering if he was going to be okay. <laughs> so so he goes off to the box, and you, you're thinking, you know, this poor rookie, he's probably, you know, in a 0-0 game, he's probably just sitting there just with his eyes closed, just willing those two minutes to pass without a goal being scored. And it does, penalty kill does a great job, kills it, kills it off. Benson comes out of the box just as the puck's coming up the ice. He joins the play. He stays out there. He goes into the corner, and he takes another penalty, 200 feet from his own net, a second time, right in a row, mm-hmm. and for cross-checking Neil Pionk, which I, either he cross-checked Pionk or a sniper fired a shot from the 40th yeah. row and, and hit Pionk because he collapsed down as if he'd punctured a lung or something. And I got to give it to Neil Pionk, you know, he, he kind of reminds me, uh, and and this is uh, this is hard words coming from me, he reminds me of another Neil, Neil Sheehy, that used to play for Calgary Flames, a player I absolutely detested, because yeah. he'd be laying on the lumber and doing the greasy stuff all night long, and you touch the guy, and he was very convincing in terms of, oh, I've been, like, seriously fouled here, you know, and the ref you know, went for it, and poor Tyler Benson went straight back to the penalty box, and I w- can only imagine the look that he might have been getting from Coach Dave Tippett around that time, late in the second period, 0-0 tie, and now we got to kill another penalty 200 feet from our net. So whether he was, uh, <clears throat> you know, suckered into it by a couple of smart veterans of uh, Winnipeg Jets, or whether they were stupid penalties, well, I'll let the listener decide, but they, you know, score sheet says they were penalties and to take two of them in a row like that in a zero, zero game. I thought Benson might not ever see the ice again, but I did see him at least once in the third period that they threw the fourth line up there. I was just going to say, I give a bit of kudos to, to Tippett. I think he got uh, two shifts in in the third period so that mm-hmm. his time ice, uh, uh, it was up to 425, so slightly uh-huh. more than his uh, penalty minutes. Uh, he <laughs> spent a little more time on the ice than he did in the box. Eh? He did have two hits in those uh, in those four minutes and 25 seconds. And you know what? Like, and and I was contemplating uh, going along the same lines for one of my bad things as well. And like, they they were both very marginal calls. Let's let's be clear. The first one. It was a love tap that that uh, you know, but the Oilers had come off a, a recent power play, and you know what he did? He gave the ref an opportunity to make a call. The second one, Pionk sold it. It, it was a cross check, but you know it didn't have to be called. But again, the ref was given the opportunity to make the call, and both in the offensive zone, like that's you know the coach wants the fourth liners to make an impact. 
do something, get noticed, right, right. do something to earn your ice time. Don't well, I don't think this is what uh, what he was getting at, but uh, um, I, I haven't had a chance to listen to the, the post game, but I did see some quotes and um, Tippett wasn't overly happy with it, but, you know, he's like, he's did acknowledge that he's trying to be aggressive. That's what he wanted. To, it's what we need Benson to do um, in his current role on this team. So I, I don't think it's going to, I don't think he's going to be picked up on waivers by the Kraken. Uh, on, uh, on, uh, he's not going to be on the waiver wire at noon tomorrow? I, I don't think so. Right. Well, you know, that's all well and good, but uh, Leon Dreisaitl gave the refs a chance in overtime to call a penalty after they'd called McDavid for four minutes when he kind of got tackled along the boards trying to break away on, in overtime. And there was significant booing going on in the fans when uh, – uh, that even up call was not made, but uh, and even up in overtime in, yeah. in day and age. Come on, Bruce. Well, it was three on four though, and that's the kind where they they're they're more apt to call it to even it up, but they didn't. So in the end, it was two penalties, uh, two power plays, four or five against. Mm-hmm. So a significant disadvantage on the night, with uh, one of the same refs, Graham Skilleter, that co- that ref the uh, game in Winnipeg the other night. So. So uh, let's move on to numbers. Sure. Um, uh, my number is going to be 39, which okay. is the overall number of hits the Oilers were credited for tonight. Um, and I know I've mentioned hits probably three, four, five times on this podcast. I'm not one of those guys that that you know thinks that uh, you know that they have to out hit the other team, and and that's the style of play. But, you know, stemming off of last game where the Jets just physically dominated the Oilers, sometimes legal, sometimes not, um, but it was a physical domination through the game. And aside from McDavid and Leon themselves, the Oilers had Mm -hmm. almost no pushback. I think they had five hits from the forwards last game. Uh, Tonight they had... Three of them were by Yamamoto. Exactly. Smallest player. Tonight, they had 22 hits by the forwards and 39 overall. So they out-hit the Jets 39-17. That's a huge margin. After Winnipeg had a 25-14 margin the night before. And I I wrote about this in my game day today. And I'm with, like, hits aren't the be-all, end-all, but they are an indicator. Yep. And, you know, and they're, they're not perfectly counted, but they are counted. Oh, they're very- over the long haul, they, they give impressions about how players play. Not, not necessarily say good or bad, just describes uh, player style. And to me, it's bad if you have too many of them, and it's, it's more bad if you don't have enough of them. But ideally, you, you know, you want to be, you want to finish your checks and you want to take your pound of flesh once in a while when, you know, when you can do so in a clean fashion. Um, from 39 to 17, uh, yeah, I didn't uh, see 39 hits in that game from him. Yeah, it could be some. I think maybe the pressure was on, and maybe the, you know, there was. Well, let's make sure that uh, that every every contact that we see, we count in this game, 
take a little heat off these boys. But uh, I uh, think it was a heck of more than fourteen. That's that's for sure. And you know, sometimes well, way more. They they were way more engaged in this game than last game, which is the major point. The number exact number notwithstanding. That's exactly what I was going to get at. There's the you know the theory, and and it's not necessarily wrong that that if you have more hits, it probably means you don't have the puck enough. And no. there's, there's a bit of truth to that. Um, but but that wasn't the game tonight. The, the the number was thrown out there just to show the the level of engagement. The Oilers are definitely, you know, they weren't dominating, but they weren't chasing the puck all night long. They had the puck. Uh, in fact, I believe near the end of the game when they Sportsnet did the uh, offensive zone time stat, it was almost identical at about ten and a half minutes each. So it was just a just to show the level of engagement uh, that they had tonight as compared to uh, uh, the game on what was it Tuesday night. Right on. Yeah, no, much, much, much better. Um, six hits from Warren Fogel, mm-hmm. who uh, who was uh, skating around and trying to at least finish his, his checks and uh, had a couple of good ones. And uh, the, uh, the third and fourth lines didn't generate anything really offensively, but at least they brought the, the mm-hmm. lunch pails and, and looked after that aspect, so... Uh, for my numbers, I'm just going to go with the three left defensemen. Nice time. Uh, <clears throat> we have a huge range here. Uh, 31 minutes, 21 seconds for Darnell Nurse on 31 shifts. Uh, 26 minutes, 49 seconds for uh, Duncan Keith on 30 shifts. And then all the way down to three minutes and 29 seconds on six shifts for Slater Cuckoo who got banged up early in the game and tried to come back and play a little bit, but uh, couldn't hack it and wound up retiring about six minutes into the second period for the rest of the night. And a 65-minute game when you lose a defenseman relatively early in the first period, that puts a tremendous load on the other guys. And really, it was the other two lefties. It wasn't like they moved a righty and they did some righty-righty pairs, and they went, you know, rotated five guys around. It was basically Nurse or Keith yep. on the ice the whole rest of the way. But what that does do potentially, Ira, is open up, because uh, there's no word yet on on uh, Cuckoo's lower body. Yeah. Uh, it looked or like it could be an ankle, and it could be a high ankle sprain, which, you know, those tend to take weeks as opposed to days. For now, they're calling him day-to-day, but it might open up. Uh, a spot on the roster if he can't go. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested in your opinion on this because you watch Bakersfield Condors quite a lot. Yep. Uh, do. Who do you think of the uh, of the three fairly qualified left defensemen that they have there uh, who might be at the top of the pecking order for uh, for recall? Are you including William Lagason in those three? Well, actually, yeah, there's four. When you talk, well, I'm actually not including Lagason. I think he's played his way out of the equation this Lagesson year. He's the guy who played, you know, 20 NHL games last year. That, you know, I mean, he's a left shot defenseman as well. So, I mean, between, let's include him, Lagason, Broberry, Sam Orkov, and Nima Linen. So four European defensemen, all left shot defensemen down there in in uh, in Baco. Who would you call? Yeah. Um, well, well, Lagesson, it, It's odd. He's been such a dominant player at the AHL level. He has been poor this year. He gets. He's getting beat wide. He's giving the puck away. He's not 
the 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 two way defenseman. I still think that because they have a history with him, that they that he could be the call, but he would be number four based on merit from what I've seen. Okay. Um, Philip Broberg is is the name that that comes to most people's minds, and he has been absolutely brilliant um, the last I'd say three weeks. Um, he, he struggled to start off with getting used to it, but but he's playing 23, 24 minutes a night. He's running the power plays. He's he's leading the defenseman in assists in the AHL, mostly on the power play. Um, but but he's skating miles. But I don't think he's going to be the call. I've heard the exact same words between Jay Woodcroft and Ken Holland, I think, seven times now, which is he's right where he needs to be. They keep saying those exact words. It's like they're making a conscious effort to say, hey, Oilers fans, we're not calling. He's staying here for who knows how long, but, you know, he's not getting called up in the foreseeable future. Um, Dmitry Samarukov and Marcus Niemann-Leinen are the other two names. And and Samarukov is the guy that has the skill set that's actually just perfect for, for three LDs. Big, aggressive. He defends the, the zone entry very aggressively. He's hard in front of the net. He's mean. He hits hard. But he's still wearing a full, he's still wearing a full face cage down there um, from that broken jaw. He missed half of last season and then all of camp. So, um, and frankly, he's... He's just been good. Like he just does what he does. He, he clears the zone. He gets the puck out. Marcus Niemelainen, who a year ago you wouldn't have even have considered um, him being a real prospect, but you know he, he's got the wingspan of a condor. He's tall. Yep. He's lanky. He he just gets in the way of pucks. He gets in the way of players. He he doesn't have he, he doesn't have very good hands, but but he moves the puck up. And you know I almost kind of think that he's the guy because they don't want to call Broberg up. Samarukov's still you know not 100% healthy probably, and Lagesson's just not being very good. But Nima Linen, if his if his hands uh, and his puck skills can do enough at the NHL level. He's just, he has a knack of closing the gap, yeah. taking the body, getting in the way. And he, he almost reminds me of like a young Chara. He's just kind of, you know, before Chara, you know, okay. kind of, let's not get crazy here, but before uh-huh. Chara kind of got his coordination and became the Hall of Famer, you know, where he's kind of gangly uncoordinated a little bit, but he's getting in the way and he's, and he's making plays mm-hmm. and, and he's got a good stick. So I would love to see Nima Linen get get a game at three LD. I, uh, I have a feeling that they'll call up Lagesson just because Sammy's not ready and they don't want to call up Broberg, and I'm not sure they trust Nima Linen. But, but to me, he's played well for the entire shortened season last year, and he's continued this year. He's kind of thickened up a little bit too. Like uh, my first impressions of of Nima Linen was he was made out of pipe cleaners. You know, he yeah. was like complete string bean. Mm-hmm. And now it looks like he's added a little bit of uh, like he's not he's not huge, but he you know he's he's got some dimension to him in size, and he's a pretty good skater for such a gigantic guy. Was he six five or six? He's yeah, a, he's, and he's, he's, got a, he's a real tall guy. He's got some real range, eh? Got some pedigree too. Like I know that it wasn't a name that Oilers fans were excited about even up to a year ago, but he's right. drafted third round out of the OHL, yep. and I, mm-hmm. you know, he struggled when he went back to to Finland. Supposedly, I think you and Bruce 
watched him a, a little bit, but I think he might be one of those guys like Broberg that, you know, because they're so fast and they get to places so quickly, they might be better on the smaller ice. You know, like right. obviously he did enough in the OHL on the smaller ice to get drafted mm-hmm. in the third round. And now that he's back in North America, he's he's put himself back in the conversation. Right. And the other um, possibility, of course, is that even if um, Skookook is out for a number six defenseman in the short term is Chris Russell. If he's uh, healthy. The assumption being that he's healthy and us not knowing that all we know is the last time we saw him, he took yet another one for the team, blocking a, a shot and going off in pain and uh, near the end of the game in in um, St. Louis. And then he didn't play in the, either of the two Winnipeg games. And he's not on IR, so he may be day-to-day or it may just be that um, uh, he's ready to go with next opportunity, in which case he draws in and whoever they call up would just be an extra sitting in the press box. So, If they even call anybody up, you know, right away, so... Yeah, generally I like to have an extra guy around just in case somebody gets sick on game day or something. You don't want to start a game with five defensemen because you you know you didn't have a depth player in place. But uh, that'll be a that'll be a situation to play out. I did see the game in uh, Bakersfield lost last night to uh, uh, San Jose Barracuda four three. They blew a three one lead and they they didn't okay. get any stops and. They had uh, Konovalov had a had a tough night, beaten three times in a row to the glove side. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I did like Broberg. I thought he had a, he thought he had a strong game, but I hear what Holland and Woodcroft are saying, and to me the plan is keep him down there through the Olympic break, and then see where we are as we're going into the trade deadline. If he's still tearing him up, you know, he'll be playing games the whole time. He won't be playing for Sweden in the Olympics. He's not quite at that place yet, right? It's not like he's from Slovakia or Germany. He's from Sweden, and they, they're they known to have occasional good defensemen in Sweden. <laughs> so, now, the other question that's, that's bubbling under right now is apparently uh, President Joe Biden today uh, discussed the possibility of the United States boycotting the okay. Beijing Winter Olympics, and if that if that happens, that changes the whole equation in a major way because there may not be an Olympic break, and then they would shuffle the schedule to fill those gaps and and move up the end of the regular season. So it would take that sort of automatic thing for I think Broberg and also Dylan Holloway uh, mm-hmm. forward, who's uh, hopefully coming back from injury in a month or so. And it just made sense. It, you just leave them down there. When the pros break away for the Olympics, you just leave those guys down there playing games. And when the pros come back from the Olympics and the teams reassemble, then you make decisions on them. So that's, uh, to me, that's probably plan A for Philip Broberg. Yeah, it, it, it sounds like there's there's definitely a chance later in the year. I just, I really think it's a it's a conscious decision by the organization to to throw out a message of caution um, on the timing because we're we're fans, we're Oilers fans. There's unreasonable expectations on on timeline. You know, it's 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 years and years of don't rush your prospects, don't rush your prospects. But why aren't we calling him up? <laughs> he is 20 now, so you know. Yeah. Well, he's where Oscar Kleffbaum was yep. in his draft plus three year. And Kleffbaum spent, I think, 60 games down there in, in uh, Oklahoma City. 
And after the trade deadline, of course, then the Oilers were not a competitive team and they were sellers at the deadline and they had new holes on the roster and they called Clefbaum up for the last 17 games, I think it was, and he was impressive. And then even his fourth year, he spent a little bit of time in, in uh, OKC right at the beginning of the season. And when he got called up then, he was here for good. And, and Broberg is on that same um, trajectory. Uh, but he's made big steps this year. And I think he's ahead of where Clefbaum was uh, in his first uh, North American season. I mean, he's got 10 points already. Yeah, and, you know, it's not a, a power play. He's definitely ahead of him, you know, as far as the, as the boxcars. But recall, I think, you know, in Clefbaum's AHL season, he was behind. There was Brad Hunt and a, and a right. few other people that were up. But with that said, and I, I wasn't watching the, the Barons back then. Like, I watch all the Condors the last few years or as much as I can. Mm-hmm. And um, so I can't speak to if Clefbaum was dominating the way Broberg is. But but he's the way you see Darnell Nurse in the in the AHL, that impact, you know, all over the ice, playing every situation, that's that's Philip Broberg in the AHL right now. Maybe not as physical, but but mm-hmm. not as shrink and violet. But a but a big fast physical specimen. Oh yes. Who's able to dominate with his athleticism. And there that comparison Broberg to Nurse has been made before. And of course, they were very similar in the sense that one went seventh overall in the NHL and the other went eighth overall, like very yep. high in the first round. And mm-hmm. So there's some legit uh, comparisons between those two and their style of play do, does have some things in common. Uh, Broberg doesn't have anywhere near Nurse's sort of mean streak and, and aggressiveness, but uh, many of the other aspects, there there are similarities for sure. And of course, Nurse didn't spend any time to speak of in the AHL, I'm very, he was up by the end of October of his uh, of his rookie professional season and never went back. So, and then we got the lineup to the first pairing when there was when Clefbaum got hurt, I believe, and he was paired with Sekera, and it did not go well. But let's not think about those days. Right. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right. Well, let's think about now. Twelve wins, four losses. Mm-hmm. And the Oilers are, uh, I think it's fair to say, a flawed team, but they're also a gifted team. Uh, and they, they are gifted with uh, uh, things that other teams don't have. And for all that, we're sometimes looking down at the bottom of the roster and say, well, this needs to be better, that needs to be better. We've, we've got uh, things to be thankful for. And, and uh, one of them is that overall, it's a very interesting team. There's always plenty to talk about. And I think we've probably... Talked about it for quite a long while tonight, or Ira. So maybe this is a good time for us to uh, to uh, uh, draw this uh, podcast to a close. Uh, sure. Before I'll do that, I'm going to say thanks to you very much for uh, pinch hitting for us again tonight in such an able fashion. Thanks for your insights. Uh, great, appreciate it. Thank you. And thanks to you, the audience, for listening. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. Bye now. Apparently, Ed Whalen always.